whining. Easily the most grating, irritating, aggravating, and annoying sound that us parents have to deal with. So what can we do about this auditory assault when our children whine, moan, and nag? Let's dive into why whining happens, how we can handle it, and how we can best redirect our children's behavior so that they can ask in pro-social and acceptable ways. Let's talk about whining. This is HiFam, and I'm Avital. So I have to start with a personal uh, kind of confession, which is that I find whining really triggering. I don't know if you do, but most of the parents I speak to do find whining to be really annoying, uh, really unpleasant, and really likely to get a rise out of us, really likely to get us to raise our voice, to threaten, to punish, to get grabby, to get extra activated. And it's interesting because I've noticed that when I'm with other families and their children are whining, whilst it's not a particularly pleasant sound, it's certainly something that I can completely tune out. It does not bother me. And what really bothers me, though, is when my own children whine, which happens quite often, I have to say. So it's not that I have by any means completely mastered this art and that my children never never whine. That's not the case. However, I think that there are some things that we can do to understand this behavior and to really change it, really help our children to modify it and so that they whine less. Because let's be honest, even adults whine from time to time. I mean, maybe you get a little whiny at the end of the day to your partner. I know I sometimes do. Maybe we get a little whiny when things don't go our way with the taxes or with the bills or at work or in our health, right? I mean, whining is generally just a symptom of the fact that we have complaints and that we're not able to make those complaints in a mature way. We have something that we're dissatisfied with, we're unhappy with, uh, maybe we have a request and we whine about something as a way of kind of releasing that and letting off that steam and expressing it, honestly. But it's not a mature or wise or well-crafted or masterful expression of our discomfort and our distaste, right? We want to show our displeasure. I think that's a good thing, but we need to show it and teach our children to show it in a way that doesn't grate on other people and that actually activates other people to help them and to help them solve their problems. So I actually think the best way for me to approach this topic today is going kind of by age and stage, because I think that whining in, say, babies is very different than in teens. And how we can approach these things is going to change according to our role that we need to serve in each of these chapters of our children's lives. And I do want to say that I've addressed whining in the past. And I think that in the early days of my work, my approach was very much aligned with, you know, peaceful, gentle, uh, conscious parenting uh, ideas. And the main kind of tenet of those ideas is that whining is you know, it's allowed, it's acceptable, it's an expression of emotion and we don't limit emotions and we don't enforce our, you know, our ideas and our preferences on our children. And if they need to whine, that means they need to whine. And if they're whining, it's just them complaining and expressing their feelings. And so you just need to accept and affirm that. I've changed over the years. And this is one of those areas where I think that I've changed quite uh, in a quite pronounced way, because what I've realized is that it really does not serve our children to allow them to become whiny, uh, to use whining as a you know legitimate and justified and validated way of expressing their displeasure. In fact, 
I still think that we need to affirm their feelings. I still think that we need to accept, tolerate, you know, be okay with the underlying feeling. Um, But I have come kind of full circle to a place where I think we should do everything we can to modify the behavior. So maybe the what is okay. Maybe the fact that they are displeased or, uh, you know, you know, uncomfortable with something is okay. And it's okay for them to have those feelings. By the way, that's something we should question as well. Like sometimes the actual content of your complaint might not be legitimate, might be an overreaction or lacking perspective or lacking maturity. And and maybe that does need correction. We could talk about that. Um, But certainly the how needs to be corrected because the truth is that what I've realized is that if we allow our children to express themselves as in, in a whiny way, in that kind of you know, gnawing, just dragged out, nagging kind of voice, um, then we might tolerate that because we're their parents and we love them and we kind of have to. We probably won't. Even us as their parents who love them unconditionally probably will snap and get triggered and yell at them and punish them and that kind of thing because we probably actually can't stand it. Um, But other people certainly won't. Uh, Teachers, other adults, you know, their future girlfriends and boyfriends, their friends uh, are not going to like that. In fact, I recently had an experience with a play date uh, for my child who came over to my house and this child was incredibly whiny towards me. And I had very low tolerance for that. I found that really annoying. I found it, you know, a problem. Like, I'm not going to want to invite them back because this was so unpleasant and so grating and so demanding. I don't want other adults to feel that way about my children. I want them to have, you know, the skills and to be equipped to behave in ways that are likable to other people. And that doesn't mean making them into a people pleaser. That doesn't mean they have to twist themselves into a pretzel and behave in ways that are unnatural and forced or, you know, overstepping and transgressing their own boundaries. But it does mean they need to learn how to express themselves in ways that are more acceptable, that are more pleasant, that people are more likely to be motivated to want to help them and to want to answer their needs. All right. So with that all said, let's actually get into it. I'm going to start with the earlier stage, with the baby stage. And the way I see our role as parents in the baby stage is as a caregiver. Primarily, we are there to give care. We are there to be responsive, to be attuned. And really, babies have pretty much zero you know, self-awareness. Uh, they don't actually have awareness of the separation between us as, as individuals. They don't know where they end and we begin. Um And they don't, in my mind, they don't have a manipulative bone in their body, right? They can't manipulate us um, and they have very little control over how they are expressing themselves. That's why you see it so clearly with a newborn baby, how they just cry instinctively, right? They have no other tools. They're going to cry when something's uncomfortable for them. And that's not a manipulation. And we don't classify that as whining and we shouldn't classify it as an overreaction, even though there are babies that are much more sensitive and much more kind of quote unquote dramatic in their responses to discomfort, right? So some babies scream bloody murder when they're put in the, a nice lukewarm bath or when their diaper is changed. But we still don't need to classify any of this as whining and we don't need to correct it or, uh, you know, make any kind of modifications uh, expecting them to ask because we know this instinctively. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Babies can't do this. (laughs) They can't moderate their responses, especially not in, you know, the first year, call it. Um, They don't fake it. Uh, They don't exaggerate and accentuate it. And our role really is to just be responsive. The thing is that this behavior of crying kind of translates and and 
and and moves on with the child to the next stage, right? They, they kind of actually take it with them as they transition into toddlerhood. And when they transition into toddlerhood, and this is kind of, you know, one and a half, two, etc., they start to, or they continue to rely on crying as a legitimate way of getting what they want. But this is the stage where we have to actually shift our role from pure caregiver, right? From just being responsive, attuned, kind of, you know, no questions asked, uh, giving the child exactly what they need and want to being what I call a captain, right? This is where we have to start to actually be more of a leader and expect our child uh, to be able to withstand more discomfort, to be able to wait, uh, to be able to take more control over how they express themselves. Um, This is where we actually have to start to establish rules and expectations and standards. And so it's a gradual process, but the idea is that we don't actually want that crying, that whining right? Uh, The crying that becomes whining in toddlerhood uh, to be an effective tool anymore. Hey, we'll be right back to the show. But real quick, I need to ask you, do you want to know how I kept my day job, started a side hustle and built my business from scratch while birthing, feeding, raising and schooling my five children at home? Well, there are many things that go into it, but the key that made the most difference by far is that my children play independently for hours at a time. No, they are not unicorn children. There's nothing special about them, although they are special to me. All children are designed to play independently for hours a day. Yeah, even yours. But in our culture, play has been stolen, which is tragic because play is so good for kids and also such a breather for us adults. If your child is clinging, reliant on screens or on you for entertainment, you need to check out my new free masterclass, How to Transform Your Home into a Play-Inducing Haven. In it, I will break down how to get your child playing independently with the play zones that every child needs. Go to reclaimplay.com forward slash haven. Okay, back to the show. So what usually happens is that because we're so used to responding to crying and the child now does it through whining, even though we instinctively dislike the sound and that's our intuition and our instincts telling us that this is no longer an appropriate way to ask for things, we still respond to it. We still reward it and we still show the child that it actually is effective. But even as we're answering the whining with what they want, just to get them to stop making that noise, um, we are also getting annoyed. We are also getting aggravated. We are also starting to create tension between us and our child because we dislike the way they're asking for things. What is cute in a six-month-old is no longer cute in a one-and-a-half-year-old or in a two-year-old, right? A six-month-old might cry because they're hungry, and we completely understand that, and we rush to feed them. Whereas, you know, a two-year-old who's saying, I'm hungry, in a crying voice, um, we can now start and should start to expect them to say it without the crying, to just simply express themselves through, you know, their words or their sign language, but not laying on the emotional layer of, you know, whining as a leftover, as residue, in fact, from their babyhood. This is why it appears immature when people cry, because it's a baby-like way of expressing yourself. Now, note, I'm not talking about crying when you get hurt or when you're sad, right? That is, of course, a separate category. Whining is typically about a need 
that we need to meet, right? They're hungry, they're tired, they wanted that movie, they wanted the blue cup, uh, they want to go with daddy, they don't want to stay here, they want a play date, right? It's something that a child needs or wants, and rather than expressing that need or want in a simple, straightforward, uh, you know, communicative, verbal way, they add in this layer, this kind of audio effect, if you like, right, of the whine, right? They make it an unpleasant sound and it, it, it is kind of reverting back and regressing back into that baby stage. So as children start to become verbal, start to become capable of expressing themselves in a calmer way, this is the time when we need to actually step in with boundaries around how they express themselves. This is the time where we actually need to give some orders like the captain, right? We need to upgrade and, you know, update their expectations and the standards that we set for them to be age appropriate. And this is the time where we actually have to stop rewarding the whining. So I know this is behavioralist, you know, as B.F. Skinner, the father of behaviorism, has taught us. And this is something that I know, you know, it kind of is going to, a lot of your hair is going to stand up and you're going to get really prickly when I mention Skinner and behaviorism. But it's important to understand that even in the realm of peaceful, gentle, conscious parenting, etc., um, we are still uh, behavioralist creatures. We still respond to rewards and to punishments, right? We still seek pleasure and seek to avoid pain. And what happens is that in the gentle, let's just call it the gentle parenting world, the advice that we often receive is to always be responsive and to always affirm and validate and justify and connect and accept all feelings. And so if, say, our three-year-old is whining because they want the blue cup, the advice often goes, you know, you have to understand that this is really important to that child. It's, you know, from the adult perspective, it seems silly uh, or unimportant, but the child sees it as really important. And so you need to, you know, really empathize and you need to lay on the empathy really heavy when the child is whining and that will help them to get their needs met and then they won't whine anymore. And I'm going to take a little bit of issue with this. I think it has a kernel of truth, but I think it has a lot of misguided uh, advice to us because the truth is that if you reward a behavior, that behavior will continue. And so whilst it's true that the blue cup really is important for that child and they really are sad about it, it's also true that whining should not be an acceptable way of getting what you want. And it's also true that you do need to learn to put things into perspective and to accept that you won't always get what you want and that that's okay too. So yes, I think we should affirm the feeling. I think we should accept the feeling, right? Like, oh, you're really frustrated. You're really disappointed. You wanted the blue cup. But I think we also must disapprove of the how, right? Disapprove of the way that you're trying to meet your need. Now, I can't promise you that you're going to get the blue cup, but I can promise you that you certainly will not get it when you ask me by whining, when you use that tone of voice. So I think what's really important here is step one, to validate the feeling. I can see you're frustrated or it's so, it's so sad for you that you didn't get what you want right now. I can see you're really upset about that. You really wanted the blue cup. Then you disapprove of the how and you can say that through an I statement. So you don't need to say, you're so whiny, you're so annoying. Why are you crying like that? You can just talk about yourself. So you can say, I can't help you when you're whining, or I find that tone of voice really grating and unpleasant, or it would really help me to help you if you can ask politely. 
right? Another way of doing this is, or the next step really, is to request a do-over. You can say, can you, can you please phrase that differently? Can you please ask that politely? Can you please try again in a calm voice? Can you please speak to me about this uh, in a respectful way? And I understand that people might think that this is a little bit controlling or manipulative. You might think, hey, if I came to my husband and I was like, oh, I'm so upset. My, my work is so difficult and I need help with this. Can you please help me? Uh, I wouldn't want my husband to turn around and say, can you please ask in a polite voice? You know, I think that's true. Um, and with that said, I also think that it's our role as parents, especially as captains in that stage of the little kids, right? Say kind of between the ages of two or three and say 11, it's our role uh, to teach them how to express themselves properly. So I think it's less similar to me saying that to my husband and more similar to my child, say, writing something with the letters backwards or with a spelling mistake or not on the line and me redirecting them, me correcting them, right? Saying, hey, this is how we do it. Let me show you. This is the stage in which we must correct our children's antisocial behaviors because they'll fester. They become habits. They become really kind of substantiated in their neuronal pathways and they become much harder to fix later. You know, a whiny tween or a whiny teen or a whiny adult is going to garner much less sympathy and empathy and understanding and patience from the people around them. We can still be really patient with little kids because they're still learning. It was just a moment ago that they were babies. It's okay that they still have this kind of carryover of that crying as a mechanism to get what they want. But we do need to teach them through our reactions that this is no longer a necessary mechanism. Look, you teach your child to let go of babyhood in many other ways, right? Children wean, children uh, diaper diaper um, train, right? They potty train, they get out of diapers, uh, they learn to walk, they learn to talk. These are all kind of graduations out of the baby phase. And learning not to whine is another of those graduations. It's another of those learning processes that we need to facilitate and support and show them how to do it differently, right? We show our children how to use the potty. We support them in their ability to learn to walk and talk. Support your child as they learn to stop whining and to instead ask in a direct way. So for me, when my four-year-old comes up to me and whines about a food that he wants, for example, I'll say to him, hey, honey, I see that you're hungry. I'm happy to make that for you. Can you please ask in a more polite way? That's much easier for me to hear. Now I'm even more happy to make it for you because it wasn't asked in an annoying way. That's useful information for my four-year-old to know because now he knows that he's going to get a lot more out of life. He's going to get a lot more out of me. He's going to get a lot more cooperation and respect from the people around him when he treats them with respect and when he states his requests in a way that's palatable to the people he's requesting you know, something from. And that's really, really important. And it's also important for people to know what your boundaries are. For example, I'm not happy to serve a child who's whining at me in a disrespectful way. It, it makes me feel used. It makes me feel exhausted and drained and triggered. And I'm their mother. So that's useful information for them to know that if they want something out of me, maybe they want attention or sympathy or a book or food or anything, anything that they want out of me at any given moment, which is pretty much every moment, they're going to get better results if they can do that in a respectful way. And they should know that about me. I think it's just as a side note, I think it's useful in our lives to offer, you know, that key information to the people around us on how we work, what makes us tick, right? It's useful for my children to know that I don't respond well to whining, that that makes me irritated. 
Now, is it still my responsibility? My feelings are my responsibility? My behavior is my responsibility? Of course. I'm not saying it's because of them or I need to pin it on them or I shouldn't do work on myself to be able to master my triggers. Sure, I should do all of that. Absolutely. But it's also useful for them to know that my preference is to be spoken to in a polite way. We're just all going to get on a lot better if we understand each other's triggers and what makes each other tick. And this happens to be a completely universal trigger. No one likes to be whined at. No one. So I want to go over those steps again, and then we'll move into the next stages because we said babies is caregiver, kids is captain. Uh, So we're going to move on to tweens, teens, and even adult children. But let's just go over those stages so that you got them down really clear. The first is that we validate the feeling, right? Remember, all feelings are allowed. You're allowed to be frustrated. Now, even here, there's a little bit of coaching, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I think in the baby's uh, stage, we've said we just validate the feeling and attune to it. In the kid's stage, we could just validate the feeling like, huh, you're frustrated. And then we move on to step number two, which is to kind of disapprove of the how, right? This is that behavioralism. This is where we're not rewarding them for whining. I do want my children to know that they're not going to get what they want through whining. They're going to get it through respectful conversation. So here I can say, you know, it's really hard for me to help you when you're whining like that. It's really hard for me to hear that tone of voice. Um, I find the way that you're asking really disrespectful. That feels really impolite to me. And it's hard for me to help you when you're not being polite to me, right? So show them that the how is not effective, is not going to work that that's actually hurting and harming their agenda, right? And then step three is to request a do-over. So specifically say, could you say that more politely? Could you try rephrasing that? Would you mind talking to me in a calm voice when you ask me this, et cetera? And then the fourth step is to reward the correct behavior. It's to say, hey, you know, it's such a pleasure to ask you when you are, to, to help you when you ask nicely. Or, you know, that was such a kind way of phrasing your request. I'm absolutely happy to comply with that. Or yes, you know, it's easier to cooperate with you uh, when you speak to me in a respectful way. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So simply thank them and reward that rather than rewarding the whining. One of the key problems that kids Uh, have with whining, one of the key reasons it persists is because it's effective. It gets them what they want. And so you do actually need to hold back and not give them things just to stop the whining, right? Not give in, fine, fine, fine. I'll wash up the blue cup. I'll get what you want because you're whining and I want to make it stop. That's the mechanism. And that's why it perpetuates. And that's why it actually really accelerates because it's such an effective way of getting what they want. So you need to detach and de-link that from efficacy. You need to make whining a no-go. Like, look, I see that you're upset about something. I can absolutely help you with it, but I can't do that for as long as you're whining. Whining will never be an effective way of getting what you want around here. So it's a good idea for you to take a deep breath and try and ask me in a different way. And then I'd be happy to help you right? So I get it. A lot of people are going to find this a little bit manipulative or difficult to digest, but this is what I believe is necessary. And I believe it's in your child's best interest. It really is going to set them up uh, for better relationships in their life if they can learn that that moment of pause, that moment of self-regulation, that moment of self-awareness and self-control and self-discipline where they say, you know what? Yes, I'm annoyed, but no, I don't get to speak to people however I want. I still need to rephrase what I've just said. And mom is totally understanding. She gets that I'm upset about this. She wants to help me, um, but she's, she, she needs to be respected. And even when I'm upset, I need to respect her. Okay, great. So those are the steps. Okay. And now let's move on to tweens. Okay. So with tweens, we move out of the captain mode. Okay. We're not so much 
you know, giving orders and direction and vision and just kind of, you know, saying this is how it's done around here. Um, but we're actually uh, moving into the coach mode. And I want you to note that many parents in my community who kind of come from those disciplines of gentle and respectful parenting, many of them fall into the coach mode with little kids. You know, coaching a, a, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, uh, what that looks like is over-explaining and too many words. And whilst it's fine to give short explanations to little kids, it's actually really not age appropriate to coach them all that much, um, to give them lengthy conversations and insights and, you know, discussions of mindset, etc. cetera. Uh, they can't handle that. It's not quite fair on them, just as you wouldn't be coaching a baby. Um, don't coach toddlers. Don't coach little kids. I think the earliest you can start coaching would be kind of a precocious uh, seven-year-old, maybe eight-year-old. But certainly as they enter into the tween ages, right, the 10, 11, 12, that's a great time to go a little deeper on the coaching. And that means we have to revisit step number one. Remember, step number one was validating the feelings to say, yeah, you're frustrated. Yeah, you're upset about that. Oh, you really wanted, you know, to go with dad. That is the stage where with a slightly older child who's whining about something, it's not fair. I didn't get to go swimming today. Everybody else got swimming, right? That kind of whining, that kind of grating sound that that's often entitled, often self-centered, often ungrateful. Those are the moments where we do with the tweens, with older children, say eight and up. That's where we actually do need to offer some mindset coaching at the level of their emotion. So you can still validate the, the emotion. You can still say, name it, to tame it, as Dr. Daniel Siegel says, right? You can still say, I see that you're frustrated or I understand that you feel left out or you really wish you could go, right? Just a simple kind of labeling of what it is that they're feeling and, and, and saying, yep, I get that. And with that, you know, as they start to calm down, especially, you can also ask them to put those feelings into perspective, right? So to think about, well, you know, did I get to do other things? Is it my brother's turn now? Um, you know, is that just the way life goes that sometimes what I want isn't available? We don't always get what we want. This is the moment where you want to start really addressing the mindset that leads to the whining, right? The complaint in the first place, the displeasure in the first place. This is a very unpopular and even controversial opinion because I think a lot of people just think, oh, you know, just carte blanche. Feelings are always accepted, always affirm, always validate. I disagree. I think feelings are a product of our thoughts. And I think our thoughts can and should be questioned and, you know, transformed and reframed into thoughts that serve us better. So if a child is focusing on the way they didn't get something, right? It's not fair. My friends got to go swimming and I didn't get to go swimming. Then, you know, mainstream peaceful parenting advice is going to be just validate that emotion. Yeah, it really isn't fair. My advice is going to be to help them to question that thought. Like, okay, first of all, yeah, sometimes things aren't fair. Maybe it's just worth accepting that life isn't always fair. You win some, you lose some. You get some things, your friends get some things. It doesn't have to be the same. But also, hey, what would happen if you focused on things that you were grateful for? What would happen if you said to yourself, oh, you know, I'm so happy for my friends that they get to go swimming. You know, lucky for me, I'm going to get to do a movie today and I'm going to focus on that. Or I got to go swimming last week. Or, uh, you know, it's okay. It happens that I don't always get what I want. I can handle that. Uh, what if we help them to actually reframe those emotions? Now, as I'm saying this, I'm hearing the resistance, but I'm also hearing the technical difficulty of getting through to a child with these types of thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Because your child might kind of feel like, don't 
don't make me feel better. Don't make me look on the bright side. Don't just, you know, whitewash this and make it all okay. Don't rob me of my feelings. Let me feel my feelings. And to that, I'll say, yes, don't swoop in with this straight away. When a child's upset, give it a little, give it a little time. Maybe it's a few seconds. Maybe it's a few minutes. uh, Maybe it's an hour or two, depending on how big the upset is. But also I think, look, we should all be allowed our pity parties. We should all be allowed our grieving, our mourning when it's appropriate, our upset, our frustrations. We can all have our initial unexamined emotional reactions to things. But then it's time for the next step, right? So once you've gotten those feelings out, maybe a child storms off to their room. Maybe they scream something really rude. Maybe they're really whiny at you for a while. You kind of let that come out. You let that get expressed. You let those feelings be uh, kind of digested through the emotional metabolism and released. Um, And then it's time to coach ourselves up uh, to say, okay, well, let's, let's think about this. Is there a better way of thinking about it? So I don't want you to just affirm the feeling. I also want you to help them to reframe the feeling by looking at things in a different light, by looking for gratitude, by looking for perspective, um, by understanding that, you know, this is just the way the world is, that not everything is always fair, um, that I have lots to be grateful for, um, that other people have it far worse than me. So I should just focus on the good, that I feel better when I see things through a more positive light. And that, you know, that behooves me. That's a good thing for me. So then you can move into step number two with your tween, right? And that's where you start to say uh, that you kind of disapprove of the way that they're expressing this. And this can come a little later on with a tween. You have more time. It doesn't have to be in the moment, right? You could later on say, you know, the way you kind of whined at me about that, that really didn't feel good to me. I, I really don't like it when you unleash your, your bad feelings onto me that way. Or I found that really disrespectful the way you spoke to me. I found it quite embarrassing the way you whined about that in front of your teacher, Um, right? You can actually tell them, I didn't like that. I don't approve. I expect more from you. I think we are very squirmish about disapproving in today's culture. Parents are very uncomfortable with stating their disapprovement, with stating their expectations. But I believe that children benefit from high standards. I believe that children need us to hold high standards and to tell them that falls outside of the expectations of our family. That does not align with our values and our expectations of you as a member of this family. I expect you to be able to express things in a more respectful way. And that's okay. Get comfy with that. Be the weird one who actually educates your child on what's expected of them, on how to talk. And you can do that in a very respectful, kind, warm, loving, conscious way. But don't skip this step. You owe it to your child to give them that kind of leadership on what the standards are. If you don't set the standards, there will be no standards. And if you set low standards, your child will always stoop to your lowest standard that you enforce. So set high standards. Because to be honest, when parents don't set standards, when parents never disapprove, when parents never correct, when parents never say, I expect this of you, the message they think they're saying is, I love and accept you exactly how you are. But the message the child is hearing is, I don't really believe in you. I don't really believe you could reach for more. I really don't believe you could master this, that you could regulate yourself, that you could express yourself more respectfully, that you could control and discipline yourself. 
that's not a good message for a child to receive. And they do internalize that and they do act that out. When you don't expect them to be able to control themselves and express themselves respectfully, they don't expect it of themselves either. They think, well, my own mother doesn't even believe in me. Of course, I can't do it. Or it's not important for me to do it, right? These are not the type of messages we want them to receive. And then you can request a do-over. So you can say, you know, I really expect you to ask me in a different way. Or can we do a restart? I find the way you're talking to me really disrespectful and like you to say it in a different way. Or should we take a break and try again soon? And then again, step number four is to reward the correct behavior. So just say, you know, I really appreciated it when you, you know, caught yourself, you were whining, but then you caught yourself and you asked me in a better way or you expressed it in a better way. And I really saw that you reframed your mindset and that you adjusted yourself. And I think that's amazing. And I really respect that. I'm really impressed by that. Um, I'm really proud of that. I think these are things that we need to bring back, telling our children what we expect, what makes us proud what makes us respect them, what we appreciate, just a simple thank you. Like, thank you for catching yourself. Well, thank you for that apology. Thank you for stating it in a more palatable way to me. So that's being a coach, right? So remember, we have babies, we're caregivers, kids, we're captains, tweens, we're coaches, and then teens, we are consultants. So the thing about teens is that we're kind of done in a sense. We're not really done. We're still very much their parents their entire lives. But we're done being able to, you know, give them the orders that a captain can give them. And we might be a little bit done being able to be their coach and really expect and demand things of them in a way that a coach does, right? Like your basketball coach tells you, you've got to be at this training. Uh, you've got to do these drills here. You've got to work on this, right? They're really kind of actively molding and shaping you. Um, from a place of love, from a place of believing in you, from 100% alignment with the same incentives and agendas that you have for yourself. But still, they're very ultra involved in shaping you. Whereas a consultant, a consultant is someone who's in you know, a separate office than you and that when you need them, you pick up the phone and you book an appointment. And you're like, hey, I have a few things I want to run by you and I need to get some advice. And the thing about a consultant is that people completely elect whether or not they want to consult with their consultants, right? It's not something that they have to do. It's not like you're on a team and this is your coach. It's not like you're on a ship and this is your captain. It's not like you're a dependent and this is your caregiver. It's like, no, you're a basically independent person, but you have a consultant on the other end of the phone. And if we want to be a good consultant, we need to uh, position ourselves in a way that our teens want to hire us, right? That they want to come to us for advice because we have been trustworthy sources of information. We have had integrity throughout the years. We have never lied to them. Uh, we have always been on their side. We have always been honest. We have always been straightforward. Uh, we have always been encouraging and believing in them. Uh, we have always been boundaried and firm and empathic and all of those great things and that balance of that, you know, strong leader uh, that inspires them that they still want to come back to, right? So maybe you had the great pleasure of having someone like that in your life. Maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a counselor, someone who you had tremendous respect for because they earned it. And that even beyond maybe camp or school or the times that you spent with them, you would pick up the phone and call them and ask them for advice later on because you respected their opinion. And that needs to be our role with the teens. So whininess and tantrums do exist with teens. They're the worst kind. They're not cute. They're absolutely, you know, impossible and unpleasant. But here we really need to master our own triggers right? We can affirm the feeling just as we would with a, you know, with a 
little kid with a toddler. Um, we can disapprove of the how. We can say, you know, it's really hard for me to help you when you're talking to me in that tone of voice. We can request a do-over. We can say, I'd love to help you uh, when you can speak to me a little bit more politely. And then we can reward the correct behavior. We can say, you know, I'm so glad you came to me with this. Uh, when you phrase this in that way, it's really much easier for me to hear it. But the important thing to understand here is that it's elective on the part of the teen. So you do not need to respond to the whining. You do not need to uh, be like a caregiver to a baby that you just make it stop, just do whatever they want. But you also do need to take a bit of a step back in shaping and molding them, right? You can say these things just with a single sentence in a really calm way, but you want to detach a little bit more here because the sense needs to be, look, I've taught you what you need to know. I've taught you the skills to speak respectfully. I've told you that I won't tolerate this type of whininess. And so now I'm here, I'm, I'm available for consultation. I'm happy to talk through the issue that you would like to solve, but that also needs to be on my terms. You can't call up a consultant and whine at them. If you call up a consultant, you need to be able to phrase your problem in a way that they can hear it, um, that they can help you. And that's really, really important. Now, I don't think our role as parents ends here. I think we can move on to being parents of adults. And there, I think we really can become a, their confidant, their friend, right? We are there for them. Um, but again, it's purely an elective and a choice-based relationship where they come to us because they want to. Um, there's nothing compulsory about it. There's nothing uh, coerced about it. Not that anything coerced should be happening with little kids either. But of course, when you're a captain, there's a lot more authority that you hold. And I want to say that the more we hold that authority, uh, you know, with conviction and with clarity and with confidence when our children are little, like I think you should be totally authoritarian sorry, not authoritarian, authoritative. <laughs> These are such confusing terms, but authoritarian is punitive and controlling. Authoritative is holding your authority with empathy, uh, but with firmness, with clarity, right? You could still be very strict. You could still have very clear rules. You can still follow through and hold clear boundaries. So I think you should be absolutely authoritative with your kids, with your toddlers and children. Um, and then you, if we do that, effectively, if we establish that authority clearly, then we're going to be able to equip them with pro-social skills and we'll be able to, you know, coach them through it in the tween years, right? Kind of transferring more responsibility over to them. And then really our job is done by the time they're teens, we are fully, uh, fully passing over the baton to them uh, and they can come to us if they need a consultation here and there, but we aren't going to be shaping and coaching them in the same active way. But for that to work, we need to start when they're young, when we're actually giving them a lot of clarity, a lot of clarity, a lot of instruction around what the expectations are. And that's why I really, you know, if you're listening to this and you have little kids, I want you to embody that captain, that captain that is really comfortable with their authority, that is really clear on their vision, that is really clear on the ground rules, on the expectations, right? Captains cannot mess around. They can't let their crew just, you know, run the ship and, and waste their resources and uh, detour the entire expedition. They have to be uh, focused and clear and really comfortable doling out commands when necessary, especially in the eye of a storm. If you want to be more comfortable in your role as a captain, then I warmly invite you to join uh, the studio membership when it next opens. If you don't know when that is, then just join my newsletter at highfam.com. And in the meantime, I'll leave you with this. Whining is really 
uncomfortable and grating. I absolutely agree and I feel the same. But we can teach our children not to whine. We can hold a boundary around this. We can and we should. And what's most important, if you only take one thing away from this entire episode, do not reward the whining. Do not just do the thing to make the whining stop. Instead, reward the polite behavior, the self-discipline, the self-control, the regulation. Reward it when your child is able to do over, to restart, to reset, to talk politely and calmly and respectfully. That's what should achieve the reward. And does this involve a little bit more patience and a little bit more work on your part? Yes. But now is the time to do that as the captain of the ship, as the coach, so that later on your child has that embedded in them. They have learned that skill just as they know how to walk, talk, write, uh, ride a bike, swim, anything that you're helping facilitate their learning with. Same goes for expressing themselves in a respectful way. Did you find yourself disagreeing completely with the ideas you heard today? Or perhaps agreeing emphatically? Or somewhere in the middle? Good, because our goal is to spark meaningful conversations about what it takes to raise strong, resilient, tight families. Use this topic to spark a conversation in your own home, with yourself, your partner, or even your children where relevant. And if you found this valuable, the best way to support the show is to leave a rating and a review, and more importantly, to share it with parents you know who are also trying to build a strong family culture.